We're going to um, take a moment to pray before we dive into the message. Uh, let's uh, bow our heads. Heavenly Father, um, as, we, uh, as we take the time to look at your word this morning, I pray that you would um, touch our hearts and, and souls and minds, Lord. Open us up that, that um, we would worship you with our minds, Lord, that we would draw close to you through, through understanding of your word and through the scriptures. Um, just please uh, fill us with your spirit that we would, would have understanding that exceeds our own ability, Lord, that, that's, that's just positively supernatural, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. So, um, Jess mentioned during her prayer request that, that um, we're going to run in a race in two weeks. Right? So, we'll, we'll, Jess and I are going to go to Ca- uh, Big Fork, which is near Kalispell, and we're going to run in this Spartan race, and I, I think maybe like Teal is running, right? Yeah, Teal and Adam. And, and I, I know, I know uh, we're very excited about this. Actually, a bunch of folks from town are going, and, and um, um, I ran in it last year. It was kind of difficult. It's like a five-mile run, and there's all kinds of climbing and jumping and stuff you got to do. And, and um, this year, I know what I'm getting into, and so I'm a little less nervous about the whole thing. There was kind of a mystery to it last year. Um, and, and so about a month ago, now that I'm not kind of afraid of going into this thing, I started thinking about, well, what are we going to do to stand out in this race? Because um, I'm not, like, we're not athletic enough to stand out, like, by being good at anything. Like, that's not happening. I, capes are an option. Um, <laughs> I, I actually found, I found uh, uh, the sweat wicking shirts that were like superheroes. And I was like, you could have the Wonder Woman one and I'll wear Batman. And, and Jess ordered her own shirt from, oh, you didn't order it yet? You better get on that. Um, <laughs> and, and the reason that I'm kind of looking at this, like last year I saw like a group of ten guys run it in suits and ties. Um, and, and actually, if you ever go and watch a marathon or, or like a proper road race, guys do crazy stuff. They'll run it in like superhero outfits or, or uh, the, the weirdest thing I ever heard about. Um, I, I had a friend in, in Indiana who was a pastor, and he would run marathons. And he said that he saw a guy um, running, I mean, it was a marathon, like a 26-mile run, but he had built a, a replica of the Eiffel Tower. Um, like a seven-foot-tall replica of the Eiffel Tower that he could stand in, but he had to carry the weight of it, and he would he ran with the Eiffel Tower on him, <laughs> and and apparently, like I mean, it's kind of a neat idea, right? Like if you have nothing else to do and you really really want to stand out, um, but the problem that arose, like because uh, um, my my friend was watching, he saw this guy a little later in the race, you know, like at the five-mile mark. And this fella, I guess he had trained for the marathon, but he hadn't trained carrying a 60-pound statue. Um, and so, like, at the five-mile mark, you could tell he was kind of, like, losing steam. And maybe, at, I think he said he saw him again at the 10-mile mark and that the guy was, was walking, like it was just done, right? And, and I'm thinking this guy probably about three miles in. He thought this was an awesome idea, right? And, and then he realized, I'm, I'm literally going to have to carry this thing for the next 20 miles. Um, and, and, I mean, any of y'all ever pick up something that was a bit too much and you couldn't put it down? You know, and you're like, oh, man, I'm stuck with this. Like, it's, it's here now. And sometimes, actually, this is all sorts of stuff. I, I, uh, I remember um, about four years ago, I was, I was doing classes, and I thought, I can, fit, I can fit four classes in a semester. You know, these are grad school classes. I'm working. We have a, a baby. This would have been three years ago because we did have the baby. 
And I remember thinking, I can do four. I will do this. It is, it is nothing. It'll be, you know, like, like I, can, I can finish faster. And I remember about halfway into that, that you know, <laughs> the end of this, and I, I'm, I'm waking up in the morning and thinking, I have to spend the next hour doing schoolwork before I go to work so I can come home and work some more. And, and I realized it was a, it was a mistake. You know, but, but guess what? It's a mistake that you can't just drop. You've got to carry it through to the end. Um, there's an analogy with this. And actually, instead of... I said we were going to do Philemon, like the book of Philemon. But I, I'm going to bump that for a little bit. And we're going to do a topical series or two before we get back into verse-by-verse through books. So um, I'm, I'm praying about it. This is the decision I made. Um, I, I've been looking here recently at the stuff that we pick up and carry in life. Or the stuff that the life puts on us. Any of y'all ever end up in that spot where, you know, you, you feel like everything has gone wrong that could possibly go wrong, and you got all of this just garbage piled up on your back, and you're like, really? <laughs> do, I need, do I need more? Thank you, God. Thank you very much. You know, oh, wait, my car broke down? Thanks for that. You know, <laughs> I, I, can barely, I can barely get by now. Now I have to do this. Anybody, all right, anybody ever experience this? Anybody experiencing this right now where you're like, could you pour any more junk on me? Um, and we're going to be looking at, at, at some ideas related to this, um, carrying the weight in life, right? Because there are folks who wake up in the morning and realize, you know, 10 years into, into you know, the life they thought they wanted, that, that carrying the weight of that life was way too much, and they didn't guess it right. They're like that guy with the Eiffel Tower, Right? Realizing this is a part of me now, I got to do this. Um, we're, we're actually going to start. I'm going to offer a platitude. How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle? How many of you have ever wanted to punch someone in the face for saying that? <laughs> the, the other response I've heard is, then God must think I'm really tough because, <laughs> because if He pours any more on me. <laughs> um, I, it's a platitude, right? Like it's, it's, there's another problem with it is that um, it's, it's not true. Okay? Like anybody who has said that to you is probably well-meaning. Like nobody likes to talk to somebody who's hurting and then say, well, have a nice day. Right? You want to say something to make folks feel better. Does it work with this one, by the way? No. I mean, maybe for some of you. If it does, I'm really sorry. Um, but for me, it never has. Right? And, and it's not true. It's, it's, it's not something that's scriptural is actually the bottom line of this. Um, it's, it's based on a very poor translation and a very poor quoting of um, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13. And we're going to get into that text today, um, which, which it, it specifically deals with temptation, right? It, it deals with um, um, temptation and falling into sin and, and the, 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 the crushing misery that comes with it, Okay? I, let me ask it this way. Any of y'all ever develop a pattern of sin in your life where it's like, this is my sin and I keep doing it and I can't quite quit? And it just, oh my gosh, why can't I stop doing this stupid thing? Or where you do one sin and then you spend the rest of your life waking up and remembering it? Or going to bed, you never remember it when you wake up. You go to bed at night and there's that 15 minutes of quiet when your brain decides to torture you and your conscience wakes up and says, hey, hey, remember this? <laughs> remember this? And it's there um, part of the problem with sin um, is that sin, like, like, not only does it kind of offend God, and it does offend God, 
but it also tends to destroy us, right? Like when we, when we pile it up, it has a tendency to, to bring guilt, shame. It, it damages our, us. It damages our relationships with other people, right? Um, and you'll ever have like a, a huge sin you committed and like you just hurt everybody around you and like, like afterwards you thought, man, why did I do that? I, uh, Jess and I had, a, I, I had a stretch of life where I, I got really stuck in, in, in my own sinful self and I, I was drowning in it. And, and um, Jess and I had an argument. And I just let loose on her. This is nine years ago. Um, and and it, it actually, like, like I, I feel more ashamed and guilty about what I said in that argument than anything else I've ever done in my life. Like, I, I, it's honestly one of the worst days I've ever had. At the time, I didn't realize it. It wasn't until a month later when she sat down and said, that's the worst thing you've ever said to me. You know, these are the worst things you've ever said. I, you know, and she still brings it up occasionally. And I know it, like, it's bad, right? Like, sin damages us and it damages the people around us. Um, so now I've just tossed that out there. I'm a terrible person. Um, <laughs> it also damages our relationship with God. The reality is that the more we sin, the more separation like that exists, it doesn't improve the quality of our relationship. Like it screws us up with God. Does that mean God doesn't forgive us? No, it means that it screws up our relationship. It means that we're not close to him the way that we were, right? Um, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians here. I'm going to offer a little bit of background. Corinth was a big city. Everybody with me? A big, enormous city. And they had like 10 temples. Right, which is pretty unusual. Most cities would have like one or two. They had ten temples there. I mean, like that's like a round number. Anyway, um, <laughs> they they had a lot of idol worship. There were a lot of like these Greek gods because Corinth is in Greece, right? And so like all these Greek gods that the uh, that the Corinthians would worship, and and it was a very common thing. And actually, it was hard like even to go to the market because people would like sacrifice animals to idols and then sell it in the market, and so you weren't sure where your meat came from. Just saying. Um, it's like eating at McDonald's, or Taco Bell, actually. Um, <laughs> um, the, so there are all these challenges that were associated with but but there was a huge, like, like um, um, worship segment, you know, in this community and in the community life, um, particularly to the goddess Aphrodite. Anybody know what she was the goddess of? Love, right? So it was the most fun church to go to ever. <laughs> I shouldn't have said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, I was wrong. Um, <laughs> So we're going to jump right in. We actually covered one through four here in a sermon about, um, about six weeks ago, five weeks ago maybe. Um, so this is going to sound a little familiar. I'm not going to dig into it real deep. This is, Paul is doing what's called typology, meaning that this is, he's pointing to something in the Old Testament as an example of something in the New Testament. Everybody with me? Um, and so he says, For I, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Um, so he's referring to the Red Sea, right? So the, the slaves, the Jewish slaves came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, right? Like Moses raised his arms and it parted and they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. Um, and they all ate the same spiritual food, which was manna, right? Um, and all drank the same spiritual drink, which is like where um, they would get water from rocks and stuff like that. Like Moses like would hit the rock with a staff, and God would miraculously make water come from the stone. Um, 
for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. So Paul does this whole thing. He says, listen, all of this was Jesus, right? So they crossed through the Red Sea. It was like our baptism. They were under this cloud of protection. It was like God's protection of them. They were eating the, the manna and drinking this, this water from the stone. It was like our communion, right? Like, and so Paul is drawing this whole parallel. And he's saying, listen, the Jewish folks going into the wilderness are just like you. All of that was pointing forward to what would happen with Jesus. Um, there's a sermon, it's probably online, unless my wife hasn't put it online. Um, if you want, you can go back and listen to it, but that's the long and short of it. Um, five and six, he says, nonetheless, so these guys who went through and had all of this blessing, they were saved in the Red Sea, they ate manna, which is bread that just appeared on the ground, right? Um, they, they, they were blessed in every way possible, and they were in the presence of God like all the time. Um, nevertheless, with, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now what happens is, God has his people in the desert. There's about like 30,000 of them, and they're wandering around in the desert, and they're on their way to the promised land, and eventually God hits this point where he's like, you know what, that's it. I am sick of you people. Right? Because they complained about everything. They got free bread that appeared on the ground miraculously. And they're like, really? Just bread? There's nothing else to eat? <laughs> they got water from a stone and they're like, hey, couldn't we have Kool-Aid or something? The Bible specifically says that. It's the message. but um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they, they complain about everything and they finally get to the promised land and God says, go in and capture it. And they're like, wow, those guys look tough. I don't think we're going. And God says, all right, that's it. You're all staying in the wilderness. And you're going to stay in the wilderness till you're all dead. And then your kids are going to go because I'm sick of you, right? And, and so they lived in the desert for 40 years. And when the whole generation had died off, their kids went into the promised land. Um, so they were, you know, God blessed them in all of these ways. And they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Um, this, Paul stops and says, listen, look at what happened to these guys. They had huge blessings. They saw huge miracles. They had all of this stuff put on them. And in the end, God, God just had to let them die in the desert because they were so rotten that their hearts couldn't be fixed. And so he said, I'm just going to wait for a new generation. Um, a generation that lived in the wilderness and will be happy with what they're getting. Um, and so like these guys, um, um, they're an example to the, to the church. It says, God... God you know, points to them and says, learn from this. Anybody ever watch somebody do something stupid and you say, I am not doing that? Right? <laughs> Anybody do it eventually? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just the, the reality. Sometimes we have to learn the stupid way. Um, but, but he says, all right, so learn from them. Don't crave evil. Don't, like, like, like look for the, the junk that these guys look for. He goes on, do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down, and, sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Now, this is an odd phrase, right? Like you might hear that and say, wait a minute, they sat down to eat and they stood up to play. This is a quote from Exodus, right? And actually, it's a reference to um, worshiping the golden calf. So like, like Moses goes up on the mountain, he talks to God for about a month, and while he's gone, they make a statue and they all worship it, Right? Um, why did he pick this phrase? Well, um, originally it was written in Hebrew, right? Um, Paul is writing in Greek. Um, and the way he phrases it in Greek points to the worship of Aphrodite. 
And so Paul throws in this word play, right? He says, listen, do not be idolaters. Don't worship stuff that isn't God. Now, I'm guessing we're like relatively safe here. Does anybody have a statue in your living room that you bow down to every day? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> One smart guy. Um, <laughs> Most of us don't have idols, right? We don't carry around little statues. We don't sacrifice stuff in the yard. That's not happening. Um, idolatry has shifted slightly, right? It went from being these false gods that they worshipped then, and now it's become stuff that we chase after, right? Stuff that becomes, like, takes God's place. Um, and, and actually, if you think about it, these are easy to pick out. Like, money can easily take the place of God, Right? I mean, it just can. Looking awesome can, you know, can take the place of God. Um, I read an article recently about a woman who was going through health food, right? She was trying to eat as healthy as possible and, and like, you know, no GMOs and no fast food and no grease and no nothing. And then she finally one day woke up and said, you know what? I'm going to die anyway. And, and in the end, like me eating healthy isn't going to save me. Like, only God's going to save me. Like, food had become this item of worship. It became more important than God. Um, and, and most folks have stuff like this in their life. In more extreme examples, you'll find, like, where alcohol or, or what have you, like, can take God's place. And it becomes a thing that we worship. And it's all we think about. And it's what we point our life towards. Um, it can be um, sometimes our kids or our family. I know it's their good thing, right? Like, family's good. But if we worship our family... Like, if family takes the place of God, then it becomes an idol. Um, and that can be damaging. I actually, I knew a family in Indiana um, where they, they lost a son. And it was the favorite son. And the mom kept his room as a shrine. And, and stopped going out. And told her younger son that she wished he had gone instead of... I mean, like, but what was it? She was saying, this is what was most important to me, and... This is what I worshipped, and everything else fell to the wayside. Does that make sense? Like, anything that takes the place of God is an idol. Now, um, the, the references there, sitting down to eat or standing up to play, are actually a reference to um, the feast that they would have, these big feasts as a part of worshipping Aphrodite, and the other half of it is they'd, they'd have, like, orgies, and that, that standing up to play is a reference to that. Um, and so, like, the way that Paul writes it in Greek, it's a wordplay, because Paul is brilliant. Um, and, and he says, listen, um, don't become like these people. Don't indulge in, like, like the eating, and don't indulge in the, in the sexual stuff. Don't do all of this stuff, because um, it's an idol. Like, it's a form of idol worship. Like, it becomes something that isn't God that, that weighs us down. Um, we go on, he goes on, he says, this is verse 8, Nor let us act immor immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 uh, fell in one day. This is a reference to another spot in Exodus where like 23,000 people were killed in a day. And it was related to like sexual immorality, right? Like where they, they started to sleep around or they, they started to, to do things that probably they shouldn't have been doing. And this is pointing to this idea that, listen, like sex can become this idol, right? Actually, if you want to... If you want proof of this, stand in a supermarket checkout and look at, um, like, an issue of Cosmo, right? And it is life-changing sex, right? Sorry if you have your kids here. Um, <laughs> or, um, you know, and it becomes this, like, if I'm not enjoying this, it, my life's not worth living. If I'm not enjoying this, if it's not as good as, you know, then, then my life is less than. Um, and, and he's warning, he says, listen, this can become... Um, 
this can become an idol. It's another reference to Aphrodite. It's probably the case, since Paul planted this church, that he knew that some of these people had come out of the worship of Aphrodite, right? And so he's specifically pointing to this. He's saying, listen, you folks, um, you came out of this. Don't go back to it. Now, when you hit pause here, um, there's weight that comes with this, right? Like, the reality is that, that when we talk about worshiping things that aren't God, um, there's a weight that comes with it, right? Like, like it eventually can become crushing. Um, my brother works, uh, he's a VP of BlackRock. It's a really, really, really big bank. And he said he knew a guy who um, became obsessed with climbing the company ladder, right? Becoming the most successful person he could be. And, and it wasn't because, like, like, of anything good. It was because he, he started drinking expensive wines and smoking expensive cigars and buying collector's books. And he just developed really expensive taste and he had to maintain it, right? And so he worked harder and harder and harder and harder. And one day he decided they, they would make him a vice president if, they would, if he would move to Scotland. And he said, all right, we're moving. And then he went home and told his wife. Guess how that went? She said, you work all the time, I don't see you. We don't talk because you work when you come home. All you do is this. And now you've shown me how important I am by making a decision to move to Europe without asking me. And that was the day his marriage ended, right? What was his idol? It was success, right? It was self-importance. And in the end, that idol, the weight of what he was carrying, crushed him. Um, the, the same can be said of the weight that comes along with, like, like sexual immorality. We, we can look back and say, and I've talked to folks, like, for years I've talked to folks who would say, I cannot believe I did that stuff. You know, and I, I cannot, I, I, you know, I think about it every night. I think, I can't believe that I have to explain this to my spouse. I can't believe, and it's there, right? Like, and it becomes this crushing thing. Or couples begin to fight because they, they can't seem to get this right because it's the most important thing for one of them. And, and it just is what it is. Like, it can become this crushing thing in our lives because we weren't designed to chase after stuff that isn't God, right? If you are worshiping something that could disappear tomorrow, you're not worshiping the right thing. Everybody with me? Um, we're going to keep going. This is verse 9. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. This is another story from the Old Testament, right? Like from the Exodus where they tested God. They said, all right, God, come on, do this for me. You know, or, or well, you said you would do this miracle if I, and they started doing things trying to force God's hand, you know, and, and in the end that's testing God. And God said, you know what? You're not going to test me. And if you're going to test me, you're going to get something worse. Now, this works a couple of ways. Have any of y'all ever, like, gone really close to something you shouldn't do? Or something you know that's bad for you? And you, you just get as close as possible. Abby does this all the time where she knows what a rule is. And she just creeps up to the rule and she just hangs out right on the edge of it. And she's like, see, I'm okay. Um, how's that work out? Um, I, I've talked to folks. I, I knew a man who, uh, in Indiana who, who had an affair um, an emotional affair, actually. He, he got connected with a woman on the Internet, and they traded emails, and he worked all the way up to the edge of, like, actually going and cheating on his wife, right? Like, all the way up to the edge, and he stood as close to it as possible. And, and then God kind of knocked some sense into him. Like, like, but he tested God by going as close as possible and saying, I'm going to stand right by this temptation, but I'm not going to do it, right? How's that work out in the end? Almost always badly, right? Like there's, I've never talked to somebody who said, you know, we went right up to the edge of it, but it was all right. 
um, we can't tempt God. Like, like, and this is what Paul is talking about. He says, listen, in all of this stuff, um, tempting God, and tempting God comes with a weight, because when we get too close, we can get stuck. Um, finally, this is verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. So, like, one of the big things that they did was they complained about everything, right? Um, and it's easy to fall into that, isn't it? <laughs> Where all you do is gripe, and all you do is point and say, you know what, could this get any worse? Um, it wasn't just the complaining, though, because complaining in and of itself, like, you can just explain, you know, I'm not happy with this. Like, you know, to pretend that you're happy. They had spiritual privilege, and all they did was ignore the spiritual privilege in case of, of griping, right? Like, the problem wasn't the complaining in and of itself. The problem was that their hearts were so focused on worldly things that they lost focus on God, right? So they would get out there, and God is feeding them miraculously in the desert, and they say, the food's not good enough, give us something more, <laughs> in reality, they're getting miraculous food, and they ignored it, and they complained. Um, they, they said, well, you know what? God's over there, and we could walk into his presence, but we're really afraid of that. Moses, could you go? Because we don't want to go anywhere near this God person, right? Like, they had opportunity to step into God's presence, but they didn't want to because they lost sight of, like, this blessing that they had. Um, 11 and 12. Now, these things happened to them as an example um, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So there's two warnings that Paul shifts into. He says, listen, look at this and don't do the stupid stuff they did. Right? Easy enough. Don't do it. Of course, it's not that easy because, you know, like we look at examples sometimes and do it anyway. I, I knew a guy who was, uh, he was an addictions counselor and he'd been an alcoholic for 40 years and he, uh, he, his father, you know, had, had died from an addiction-related thing, and, and he hated his dad. And he said, you know what? I am not like him, and I'll prove it. I'm going to do the same thing. And he became his dad, is what he did in the end. And, and he had this moment where he realized, oh my gosh, I fell into it. Um, it's easy to fall into sin even after seeing an example. So Paul says, listen, look at their example and don't do it. And then he says, um, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Um, watch this. Sometimes Abby walks on things that she shouldn't walk on. She'll get up on the back of the couch, right? And she'll play up there. What's going to happen if she does that long enough? She's going to fall, right? Or she'll get into something and I'll say, don't mess with that, it's going to hurt you. Um, or the other day, you know, we warn her, like our, we have dogs and she climbs on them. Say, hey, leave the dog alone, leave the dog alone. She tried to mount one of our dogs to ride him around the living room. She explained that was her plan. <laughs> and the dog didn't like it, right? Guess what? She knew better. She, she, well, she didn't know better. She thought she could do it, and it didn't work out. It's very often the case with sin, and with, when we struggle with sin, where we step into something and we say, I got this. I got this. And do we? Nope. <laughs> um, and this is, you know, where Paul says, listen, pay attention to the warning and don't think you just have it nailed down. Um, and then he goes on, and here's the misquoted passage. No temptation has ever overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, 
but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Now, if we take temptation and put hardship, this would sound like that platitude, right? uh, No hardship has overtaken you, but what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to to experience hardship beyond what you're able, right? But he's not talking about that. He's talking about temptation. He's talking about looking at something in your first decision, you know, like your, your decision then is, oh, I'm going to do the wrong thing, right? I'm going to sin. I'm going to do what makes me happy instead of what the right thing is. Paul says, listen, none of you are tempted beyond what everybody else in the world has been tempted by, right? Um, none of you face temptation that everybody else doesn't face. None of you. I, I you know, we all go through it. Um, he says, you are not special in the respect that you, you, you have temptation. Anybody ever really tempted by something and you kind of get mad at God about it? Like, really, could you just back this up? Could you not? And sometimes this is sometimes anger, right? Like, sometimes we get really angry at people and it's hard to let it go and you just want to be mad and you want to go through it and you want to remember why you're so mad and you think, God, why would you put this here and make me in a place where I'm angry? And he says, We're all in that spot. We've all done it. Nobody is special in this regard. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. What this means, check this out, it means that when you're faced with temptation, God will pick you up and carry you through it. Right? God will aid you in resisting temptation. But, but, um, he ends it with plea from idolatry. So if I'm standing in a spot where I'm surrounded by temptation... Right? And I hang out right there. Right? And I say, well, you know what? God said he would help me with temptation. So it's okay if I stand really close to the fire because I won't get burned. That's testing God, right? And I'm doing exactly what the problem was in the first. We can't just jump into stuff that messes us up. Why did I start with this? Well, um, I started with this particular topic because we talk about hardship that we carry. We talk about difficulty and our minds turn toward loss. Right? Our minds turn toward depression. Our minds turn toward um, things that we don't have that we wish we did. But in reality, one of the, well, the scriptures tell us the very root of all brokenness in the world is sin. Um, and one of the things that creates the most difficulty in people's lives is sin. It's not like I sinned so God, like, had my dog die. It's not like that. Um, it's I sin and sin creates difficulty for me. There is, there's hardship associated with sin, right? And sometimes that hardship is just, I can't put my eyes on God in the right way, right? Because I am so mired in my own garbage that I can't look at him right. And as a result, as a result, um, I can't look to God and turn, you know, and overcome the other hardship I have. Um, I, I'm, people become self-centered. They become self-interested, and when they experience difficulty, instead of saying, oh, here's how God will help me, or here's how I can overcome it, they sit around and they say, woe is me. Anybody ever do that, by the way, where you get stuck in like, oh, my life is awful, my life is terrible, and all you can think about is how unfair it is, and in reality, if you just took a few steps, you could overcome it? You know, like really minor stuff, but in reality, you sit because like, you're so inwardly focused, like, like sin overtakes you, and it's just all about me, and it's all about this, and God has no part in it because you're not letting him, and it becomes this like, here I am. Ultimately, all of this stuff, I've talked about sin an awful lot this morning, there is nothing on this list that God can't forgive us for, right? 
um, through Jesus dying on, our, on the cross, right? Like Jesus takes punishment for us. There is nothing, no sin that you get stuck in, no garbage that you carry around, no nothing that you can't overcome because Jesus forgives. Like we're forgiven through the death of Christ, through, through his punishment on the cross. Um, when we experience temptation, ideally the cross is what's supposed to carry us out of it. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in, in future weeks, actually. Um, next week, I think we're going to start talking about the idea of, like, something really bad that won't go away, right? Paul actually begs God to take something hard out of his life. So this painful thing, God, take it away. And in the end, God doesn't. We're going to talk about that, okay? Um, but that's next week. This week, understand, one of the chief roots of us not being able to deal with difficulty is, is us. It's our sin. It's, it's us not being able to, like, turn to him. And the beginning step to finding comfort is repenting, right? Taking fearless moral inventory. Uh, looking at yourself and saying, what is wrong? What should I do? Um, that is a hard thing to do. And, like, stepping away from the stuff that entangles us. Stepping away from the stuff that's dragging us down. Um, we watched... We watched a movie here a few weeks ago about cavemen, and they get stuck in tar, right? These animated cavemen are stuck in tar, and one of them's trying to beat up the other one because he's dating his daughter. And, and he's trying to get at him, but the more he fights, the more he gets stuck in the tar, right? And his anger undoes him in the end because he's stuck. And because the more he fights it, the more stuck he gets. This is sin, right? We get hung up in it, and the more we fight it, the worse it gets. And the harder we fight it, the worse it gets. And in the end, what we have to do is back up and get pulled out of it. And the only way we get pulled out of it is Jesus. We're going to close in prayer. Um, and and I, I don't do, we don't have a last song. Um, so we're going we're gonna to close in prayer, and, and then uh, I'll close us with a blessing. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. Um, touch our hearts and souls and open our eyes, um, Lord God. Uh, to areas of difficulty, areas of sin, areas of struggle, areas where we, uh, where we tie ourselves down with just the garbage in life. Um, I pray that you would just, just move in our hearts and minds today and help us to come into that place. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so next week we're going to talk about hardship that doesn't go away like in, and how we find comfort and how we find strength and stuff that does not get better. But I'm going to close this with a blessing today. Um, May you, uh, may you go out of this place. Uh, may you recognize the things you've gotten stuck in, the things that, that have entangled you, and the things that bring you misery. And may you figure out how to get, off, get free from them. May you turn to Jesus and find forgiveness and release. Amen.